All right, guys, welcome again to the Salt City Church podcast live from both Rhonda the Honda and Jeff Dodge's Volkswagen Jetta. So I'm sitting in Rhonda just a few minutes ago. I had to pull up my window with my hands because there were mosquitoes <laughs> coming in and I had to start my van. So if you're hearing a little hum, of that sweet V6 engine, that's what that is. I might have to turn and adjust the air conditioning at different points because it's a little bit of a hot day here in Minnesota. Jeff, how's, I mean, it looks like you're driving right now, man. You're taking it up a notch. I, uh, I am, man. Well, and here's the deal. I love your podcast, so it's really fun to be on here. But um, I was thinking, man, I kind of want to be in my car. And then I was, then I was in, a, in a little bit of a dilemma because nothing rhymes with Volkswagen. You know what I mean? So I was like, I've never <laughs> named my car. And I was, so here's what I did. Just for you, just for you, I'm going to name it Greta the Jetta. and after after we're done with this i'll probably never call it that again but for today at least ronda the honda meet greta the jetta (laughs) Jetta with a two-toned leather interior so we were talking before we came uh, online i mean before this you were driving some junky hondas oh and and i was saying that you know basically our our cars represent the stage of our life right now. So I'm really glad that I don't have a nice car. Cause if I had your car, the level of my anger, I mean, I already at times struggle with anger, but that would go up because then the French fry gets wedged in the seat and you get mad or the kid scrapes the bike against it. But what's the, what's like the junkiest car that you've had? Dude, here's what's crazy. Okay, number one, this is not that nice of a car. So <laughs> we're not in just total different categories. But but <laughs> I, I appreciate the fact that I don't have as many French fries jammed in the seats. But um, but I will tell you, my favorite car ever, when we lived out in Los Angeles, um, I had this old uh, Escort, and it just blew all sorts of blue smoke at the back. So you can only live with that for about a year but back then before they would make you, you know, either put a whole new, I don't know, catalytic converter, whatever you had to get the smog from coming out of your car. So I had to just get rid of it because I couldn't do anything with it. So I bought this, all we could afford was this orange Volvo. This, it was the ugliest, nastiest orange Volvo. But those things are built like an iron cage, you know, because we had two little kids. So on those interstates, I was like, oh, sweet my kids are gonna be safe but then okay here's the best part of that i got a chance to drive elizabeth elliott around los angeles in my orange volvo and then after that john MacArthur in the same seat not at the same time they weren't in the same seat at the same time (laughs) in my passenger seat in that orange i still remember pulling up to john MacArthur's house to pick him up to take him to the airport but ugly orange Volvo, you know? So anyway, that was probably the ugliest, nastiest car I've ever had. And probably the most famous people <laughs> in there to, to get chauffeured around. So pretty fun. Nice. Nice. Um, Jeff, so you're doing a podcast as well. That's kind of a short um, meditation each day. Yeah. And it's, if I'm right, it, it's based on Psalm 23. So what are you doing on your podcast and what's yeah. kind of the heartbeat behind it? 
Yeah. Well, you know, when everything started going into quarantine, um, we we just were trying to think what what are some ways that we can keep personal, you know, like like the human element, even though we're not able to be in contact with each other and stuff. So um, w- that was one of the ideas is have a daily just meditation of the word. And so I had just been studying through Psalm 23 and the phrase in Hebrew, where in a lot of translations, it says he restores my life. The, the Hebrew is actually something closer to he lets me catch my breath. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times we think of Psalm 23 as like this more eternal thing, like he's promising us heaven someday kind of, a, you know, we, the reason too that we do that is we often quote it at, at funerals. And so that locks us into this idea that it's about past the grave, but it's actually not at all. Psalm 23 is radically about the here and now and following our shepherd here and now. And along the way, we go from a green pasture and quiet waters And all of a sudden we look and there's a really scary dark valley ahead of us. And so he lets us kind of catch our breath. He gives us, you know, that, that little extra boost to make it through whatever he's calling us down. So all that to say, it seemed like an appropriate way in the midst of all this coronavirus stuff to say, Hey, let's just daily catch our breath. Let's just kind of, here we go. Let's get through this next day and all the, you know, twists and turns and the unknowns that, that are part of this whole thing. So yeah, call it catch my breath. So it's, it's literally five minutes or less sometimes often of just a meditation from the word. And sometimes it's just me praying for five minutes. Sometimes it's a little thing I'm reading. We're going through the Lord's prayer right now. So taking each phrase a week and stuff. So yeah, not, not terribly deep or profound or whatever, just a a human touch, I guess, a pastoral moment with anybody that wants to listen in. So yeah. And I would totally encourage those of you who are listening to, to look that up and just be encouraged. Uh, you can go to veritascommunity.org and kind of follow their media and, and check that out. Jeff, can you remember when in your walk with Christ, you discovered the richness of the Psalms? And part of the heartbeat behind that question is, I know for me, it wasn't until I tasted suffering Dude. that I began to understand the Psalms. Is there a certain season that you remember where, where the Psalms came alive for you? Yeah, man. I, uh, yeah. And I, it's so funny, Drew. I, all of a sudden I'm emotional. <laughs> like You just bring up the general topic of your, your story and mine. And I'm, I'm connecting on all sorts of levels. I'm getting a little misty here, but, um, cause you and I have walked through a lot of stuff together. Um, but for me personally, my pre drew years, um, so, my my third born, his name's Colin, um, uh, almost died right after birth. We were, um, two of my kids almost died after birth. Audrey did as well. And then Colin, two totally different circumstances. But specifically with Colin, there was a night at the hospital where it was just looking terrible. Like his numbers weren't moving. Um, it, it was basically like hovering right there on the brink of death. And we just didn't know when he would finally cross that that line. And, uh, I went back to this little room that they had given us to just get a little quiet and rest when we could. And I did this desperate prayer. I just never do this. This is like the, the anti-type to the way theologians would tell you to read your Bible. I just said, God, you have to tell me something. And I just opened my Bible and wherever it opened to, that's what I was going to read. Bible roulette. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're just glad you didn't land in some obscure passage in Leviticus or Second Chronicles. <laughs> Seriously, I would have cried myself to sleep. Seriously, but God is so kind. He's our Father, right? Sometimes He meets us in those lunkhead moments where He should be more frustrated with us than He is. But I opened to Psalm 121 and read about this God who never takes his eyes off us, never sleeps, never slumbers. We're always in his watchful care. And it's interesting because the very last phrase of Psalm 121 talks about he got, he watches over our coming in and our going out. And really a lot of Hebrew scholars believe that means coming into life and going out of life. So it didn't even give me this promise like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Colin's going to live. It wasn't that. It was more this moment of recognizing the nearness of God, that he was watchful. And I could lay down and sleep and go, you know, temporarily unconscious and sleep because he will never sleep, never slumber, never take his eyes off us. And that's when I think the power of the Psalms maybe especially impacted me. And I've kind of never read them the same since, you know, and they're not always desperation Psalms, but the emotive, like the the aesthetic of the Psalms has, has just taken on a whole new level for me since that moment, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you came up and taught that Psalm I did. right yeah. after Jude, my son was born with a congenital heart defect and he did end up uh, being ushered into eternity by God five months later. But I remember something that you said that I repeat often to people right after that, was uh, you said to me, Drew, the, the difficult part about the situation that you're in right now is that no one else can help you. Yes. Oh. And I, how, would you, um, how would you encourage somebody who, for them, COVID-19 is the first time they've experienced that reality? Totally. How, how do you shepherd somebody through that, that feeling of just, my mom and dad can't help me. My spouse can't help me. How would you instruct their soul during this time? Well, for one, I would say, don't waste this opportunity, right? Don't waste this opportunity to, to lean into Christ like you've never leaned into him before and read the Bible. Drew, I mean, you know me, I'm a Bible guy. I love my Bible. I, I, I'm faithful with reading my Bible. But there are passages of scripture that are coming alive to me now because of this unique situation that we're in, that I, nothing but the situation I'm in would give me the perspective and the ability to see what I otherwise would not have been able to see. And so one, I'm just saying, don't be, sometimes it, crises can do one of two things. It can either drive us toward the father, toward truth, toward our Bibles, and, and in a beautiful way, bring that intimacy. Or in our frantic, controlling way, oh, I don't have time for that because I got to just wring my hands and worry and I've got to figure this out. And I've got, you know, and, and what I'm saying is, man, don't waste this moment and don't waste the extra time maybe that you have or even the anxiety that's coming because even the simple six word phrase in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread those six words have taken on such a whole new depth of meaning for me, whether it's the decision-making as an elder that we're having to make about how do we respond today, not knowing what tomorrow's going to bring, 
whether that's in my own life. I'm just saying in a thousand ways, and it has really driven me to Christ powerfully. So I guess for me, I, my, my advice would be go back to some familiar parts of your Bible. Go back to Psalm 23. Go back to the Lord's Prayer. Go back to, don't, don't look for something brand new. I would say, let God show you that you've maybe been walking past the same passage time and time again and, and, and missed some of the depth that, that he'd like to bring you, you know? And so, yeah, I, I believe there's a new level of anxiety and loneliness and um, insecurity. Americans are not used to insecurity, dude. Not just health, mm. but now financially. Our, mm. This rock of a nation economically is, is all of a sudden teetering a bit. And I'm saying, yeah, well, welcome to the rest of the world. <laughs> welcome to the experience of the vast majority of brothers and sisters that we have in Christ, you know, all around the world. I was just texting Clint. Sorry, I, I'm taking over. No, no. <laughs> but Keep our going, mutual friend Clint that, that serves over in, in Wuhan, right? And it lives in, well, he's not there now. He's currently back in the U.S. But today on the news, Wuhan, they discovered six new cases in Wuhan. And so their response is they are going to test all 11 million residents of Wuhan. <laughs> and I'm just saying like, will the shutdown happen again? What, what, what cataclysmic, like massive, like impacts is this going to have on people all around the world? I'm saying, well, Americans buck up, like <laughs> just realize you're entering into a valley for sure. I'm not minimizing it. But a valley that the vast majority of world population walks through continually, you know what I mean? And so don't waste this opportunity to lean into God and learn things about Christ that we've, we've maybe just been immune to or, or kind of sheltered from, you know? So yeah, that reminded you, me, Jeff, you've spent a lot of time in Zambia mm. and uh, spent time with guys that don't have the same earthly securities that wow. we have. And no I've heard you talk about that over the years, but, but I wonder if what God has done in your soul through yeah. spending time over there is informing your perspective. What have you learned uh, from your Zambian brothers wow. in Christ that, yeah. that they could really teach us during this time? Man, Drew, thanks for asking that because um, I have learned a level of compassion, I would say, number one. Um, they are not there waiting for me to come and have pity on them. Um, they don't feel pitiful, <laughs> right? <laughs> they are carrying on living for Christ and doing so beautifully. Uh, they're n I'm not their friend that comes over and, and either offers pity or quick fixes with American money or whatever. I join into them in their life and their world. And I'm learning that they are the most compassionate people. They get suffering and they know how important compassion is in the midst of suffering. So even now, here's how humbling it is to be involved with my dear brothers and sisters from Zambia. My phone gets a constant stream of WhatsApps and texts and stuff from my Zambian friends, Jeff, we hear things are really bad in the U.S. I'm praying for you every day. Are you okay? Is your family okay? <laughs> and I'm like, my daily life in the midst of this crisis 
is like a hundred times easier than your daily life in the best of times. You know what I mean? But they're, mm-hmm. they are so quick to, to offer compassion and sincerely and uh, ready to help me out in whatever way I can. So that, that would be the number one thing I think is compassion. And then just resilience. I mean, my brothers and sisters, uh, they are resilient people. They, they take a lot of hits. And whether it's their crops that suddenly it's a blight or it's a famine or it's a whatever, um, or just the tragedy of, of more malaria breaking, whatever. They are resilient people. And it, it really does impact me greatly to say, I need to be stronger in my walk with Christ and believe him with more tenacity the way that they did. When, when they start singing their songs about heaven, Dude, if I'm around anybody that can translate for me and they start singing a song, about, this just happened this this last trip. And I had Ryan Hamby on the other side. And my friend Wenard kept whispering what the choir up there was singing. is all about heaven and their glory. And they're singing with just such joy as I'm in this mud brick thing, you know. And uh, I finally, I, I'm weeping. I'm trying to tell Ryan what Wenard's saying. And I finally, I'm like, stop it. Stop it. I can't take it anymore. You know, like, I didn't want to hear one more word of the joy-filled lyrics, you know, that were coming out of my my poor Zambian brother and sister's uh, lips. So, uh, yeah, I I could go on and on, man, and I'll stop because I've I've learned and gained far more from them than they have from me. But it's it's a joy to go visit them. Yeah, that reminded me of I I always forget where the passage is. I think it's in Isaiah where it talks about how in heaven we're going to be overtaken with joy. And oh. I, I've always just loved that image because we have those moments on earth where you're like laughing so hard. You're with a group of friends or you're in a worship service and you're just like, I don't think I could handle any more joy. Yeah. yeah. And to experience that without like the stomach pain and the, and the burning <laughs> when the drink comes out your nose, you know, it's like, it's so amazing. How do we, how do we anchor ourselves in the hope of the future Wow! during this? I mean, I'm sure you, you've talked about um, just how, how we deal with sort of the endurance, but there's also this aspect of future hope that is so centering have you found that to be sort of a theme for you too during this time oh yeah oh man no lie and and i do think that um again going back to those probably the reason that those six words in the lord's prayer is on my mind is i just taught (laughs) we're teaching this weekend on those six words so i just had to tape it for for a sunday service but you know it, it takes you from that immediate of, no, Lord, I need something today. Please give me today what I need, my sustenance, my bread, whatever that is that I need today. But when you dwell in it long enough, it takes you all the way to Christ. You know, John 6, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And yeah, I can give you bread and it's going to last you the day. It's going to last you for this moment. And then you're going to die. The people ate manna that I gave them faithfully every day. And then they died. I'm offering you bread from heaven that will last you for eternity. So even when we pray that part of the Lord's prayer, that seems very here and now and near linger there long enough. And it's going to take you to think about eternity and to think about when, 
when we need life that is truly life beyond the grip. But, but Drew, I think even though it's much more difficult because of social distancing and all that, dude, we are desperate for friends. We just need mm. friends through this whole thing. And those moments that you're talking about of laughing until you're crying that you and I have had, you know, um, we need those because I, I just love the end of John, the, uh, John's gospel where all this epic, the cross, the resurrection, the appearances, all this stuff. And the very last scene is Jesus cooking his friends breakfast and having this warm just moment with his buddies. Like it's not lost on him that he's about to ascend to the father and send them out to change the world and all that's going to happen. Right. But for that moment, it's enough that he built a fire and cooked him some fish just to be friends. So I, I'm saying even those moments of friendship are not shallow. Dude, that's what heaven's going to be about. And it reminds me of what heaven's going to be about. And I, I can endure long days of suffering or isolation if I get glimpses of that kind of eternal friendship that can be expressed right here, right now. You know, I mean, even this time right here, dude, it's, it's yeah. a delight. It's a taste of, of the glory to come, you know? So yeah, I'm yeah, teaching it on Ecclesiastes three and four this weekend and there's this section in there that's normally used for weddings right but the the oh, strand of three cords cord, yeah. is not easily broken and you know two lie down to keep each other warm and you know the, this whole theme of ecclesiastes is meaningless meaningless everything's meaningless but that doesn't mean that we forsake and sort of become so fixated on eternal realities that we can't yes. just enjoy a good friendship totally totally that's the theme of ecclesiastes right i mean that you're you're touching right at the heart of ecclesiastes i love i love that you're teaching through that too man that is one of the most enigmatic books that surprisingly is so life-giving because when you first you know if you're a brand new believer you're going through your bible read through you get to that one man you're like whoa whoa <laughs> Where did this come from? Totally. Yeah. But man, I'm telling you what you're discovering exactly right. There's some just life altering, life giving truths tucked in there that, that we need as, as we're kind of slogging it out here on this earth, right? We need, need Ecclesiastes to come alongside us and help us make sense of it. So I love that yeah. you're doing that, dude. You're such yeah, a so, great Bible teacher, man. You're such okay, a this is, this is a hard, this is a hard shift here. Um, but you, you've been really candid with me just about seeking everything. to, yeah, about everything, <laughs> but seeking to love Teresa through this. And so you, so I got to get the, did Jeff Dodge, uh, trying to apply his legalistic condition oh, to dude. his wife update? Like, how's that going, man? <laughs> okay. I don't know if you can tell how red I am right now. One, my car is hot and I don't feel like I should open the windows and let air in because it'll mess yeah. with the sound. But the most reason I'm red right now, dude, you don't even know this, but just before I got on this. Okay. So I got done taping my message for Sunday and we're trying to figure out how to redo the front steps and, and put some wood because they're all falling apart. Anyway, I had just got it all figured out this morning before I left, got it all done. And I get this text as I come off from teaching the holy writ of God, you know, and it says full stop on the front stairs. And immediately I'm like, 
no. And so that's all, <laughs> that's all I text back. No. <laughs> no, with an exclamation point or no exclamation yeah. point. <laughs> and so this is this is my wife and I's relationship. My my son Seth, our our oldest, he's thirty four, almost thirty four years old, is staying with us because he's been activated in the National Guard here in Iowa City. Blah blah blah. Anyway, he he says, "Man, mom and dad, you are like two comets that are just circling a planet, and it's amazing that you don't crash." And somehow you make it work because you are these both just, you know, we are both very strong personalities. And I'm telling you, <laughs> through all that, I'm absolutely being honest with you as I always am about the friction times that we have. But Drew, I've never, I can say this honestly, I've never loved my wife more. I've never appreciated the unique way that God has hardwired her. She's just such a blunt truth speaker. And there are times, especially over this last season of life, where I'm constantly wanting to nuance. I'm constantly wanting to figure it out, put things in place. And she's more the prophetic, like, you know, and I've needed, I have absolutely needed that. And we're in a pretty sweet season. I got to say, even with this COVID stuff, yeah, there are moments that we, you know, get in at about front stairs or whatever you know but underneath there is a there is a beautiful unity that's come about that I just wouldn't trade for anything in the world but uh but yeah for any of you guys that haven't met Teresa she's the life of the party she is the (laughs) she is the the one that keeps me grounded for sure and uh not always pretty it's how it's you know (laughs) but it's but it comes out I'm I'm so grateful for her Jeff, you know, from your seat, just as a man who's been walking with Christ and been married for quite a while now and raised your kids, if you were going to just reflect back on the season of life that I'm in. So, you know, being a 35-year-old, been married 12 years, five kids under my roof dude you know what what would you do differently yeah wow you know I um and this is this is not unique to me you'll hear this from a lot of grandparents right where we find ourselves now we got five grandkids and I find myself being so patient with them so eager to enter into their little world and drop everything that I'm doing in order to be with them. Now, would that change if all of a sudden they lived with me 24 seven, 365 days a year, maybe, you know, maybe I'd revert to my old ways. <laughs> but, <laughs> but honestly, I love, I love lowering my expectations on the day and realizing the long term of, of where this thing is going and how their lives are going to unfold. And I just always want to be, in the arena of their life. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm called more onto the field. There's a, a desperate need and they're, they're wanting me right there. Other times I'm in the grandstands just watching their lives play out. But I always want to be in the arena, right? I always want to be able to, to stay connected to my kids. And so that's, that's not to say that you turn a blind eye, especially to disobedience. And, you know, you've got little ones and you just got to call them to obedience. God calls us to obedience. But there's just a level of 
patience that I have now. And even with my adult kids, I would say this, they make big decisions now, not child decisions. They make big decisions now that I would maybe do differently or whatever. And I find myself being like, they'll make it. Yeah, I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't do that. And if they ask me, I certainly interact with them and engage with them. But at the end of the day, they know I trust them completely and mm-hmm. it'll all work out. We made horrible decisions. I bought orange Volvos, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like <laughs> it all worked out somehow. And uh, even the stupid things. So yeah, I would yeah. say, man, take a deep breath and enjoy some of the moments and and just be patient, be more patient. That's what I would tell me. I don't know if I, if I would tell you that. I would definitely tell me, chill out and enjoy them far more and just lower your expectations, yeah. Do you think part of what undergirds that now is less kind of selfish ambition? Like a, a slowing down of your own soul in the sense that, because I feel like, I, I mean, still to some degree, but when I was 20, you knew me when I was 25, there was so much more grasping in my life. Yeah. Like I need to, I need to prove myself. Like I'm yes. good enough, right? I'm good enough, right? And I still see that in, in my soul. But as I hang out with some of our elders or the more seasoned pastors in our network, I always am in subtly rebuked yeah. by the the calm demeanor about oh not getting too high or too low is that part of it do you think dude for sure i uh i think i've never been more like content in who i am and i'm not trying to do some weird psychological twist on this i'm just saying i've come to grips with the fact that the inadequacies i have because i'm as old as i am i'm 57 my 57 <laughs> however old I think I'm 50 yeah 50 um that I'm hardwired to be the kind of person God has made me to be whether that's my physicality my my ability to you know understand things whatever there's there's just limits on who I am and I've just never been more comfortable I think for so many years especially as a young man I wanted to push those those limits not not imagine that I couldn't accomplish the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I don't know, there's that unhealthy ambition that can grab a young man um, where there's just rarely a, a point of just contentedness and a point of just being really happy for the place that you're at. You know what I mean? And mm. I'm telling you, reading things like Eugene Peterson, you know, mm. guys like that, that are just, really content in their walk with Christ and the place that God has brought them. That's, that's really good for young men. I mean, you guys get enough of the young ambitious guys charging you up and yeah, take some of that. You, you are the, in first John two, right? Young men are the ones that are supposed to be fighting the battles and winning victoriously, but you're also called just to pastor the people that are right in front of you and enjoy the wife that God has given you and enjoy the children God has given you and you know bring the temperature down a little bit so yeah I I guess nothing but age can can kind of soothe that a little bit you know but maybe you can buy some of it for from the age to come and believe it today you know that's mm. that'd be awesome that's, get, the, get there before a, I did <laughs> don't wait till your 50s to get there that's such a good word. I mean, 
to be ambitious within reason is kind of the way I would summarize what you just said. I mean, that it's like, yes, we want to be ambitious, but we also want to look ourselves in the mirror and be realistic about who God has made us to be and content in that and go what he's called us to do instead of trying to have the prayer life of George Mueller and the preaching ministry of John Piper and the (laughs) ambitious church planting DNA of Mark Driscoll. And you try to put all those pieces together and you wear yourself out thinking about it, let alone when you try to put it into practice, you just fall on your face, right? You absolutely do. And look what God has already done for you, Drew. Look what God has already given you to not just hit pause every now and then and to just say, thank you, God. If I never lived another day, if I never got to see another victory, you have already filled my memory bank with your faithfulness. Mm. And you know what I mean? Like Mm. just to hit pause and say, wow, I am the most blessed man on this planet. Thank you, Jesus. You know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. All right, Jeff, I got the last three questions for you, man. Let's do these rapid fire and then I'll ask you to pray. So okay. if you could pause the pandemic for four hours and go to one sporting event or concert or restaurant, where would you go and who you who would you go with? Dude, I'm I'm a little intimidated because you know you just had like Rosaria Butterfield. My word. <laughs> One of the most <laughs> profound giants. I'm just like, man, <laughs> am I on the same screen as Rosario Butterfield? Anyway, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to be honest. I would go to a Queen concert circa about 1980. If I, because I want to twist your thing. <laughs> you can also use a time machine with that, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do whatever you so, want. Okay. I'm using your time machine to go anywhere because I loved, I, I did get to see Queen in 1980, but I was probably, too drunk, too 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 and too young to appreciate what was clearly in front of me. So I would take Travis Pierce, which is going to make Wendy mad, his wife Wendy mad because she's a huge Queen fan. But um, I would take Travis. If you gave me more tickets, I'd take Teresa and Wendy along too. But Travis for sure. Um, and we would just sing every lyric, every song, and and just have an absolute blast. And I would do it nice. sober, by the way. I would do it sober this time. <laughs> nice, nice. I love it. Okay. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of the quarantine, what would it be? Yeah, I got I got a 50-50 thing. So I would take my mom's tuna hot dish. I didn't realize how poor we were until I started looking back. But I have this love for tuna hot dish that's made with potato chips and tuna it's the most unhealthy thing in the world but i'd probably live on that or i would have to say this is where rosari and i have the same i would love salmon off the smoker if i if i could just eat salmon off the smoker for the rest of uh covid19 i would i'd be i'd die a a happy death with a smile on my face man (laughs) nice yeah you encouraged me to get the traeger and i haven't looked back yet oh Um, okay okay you love you love Teresa. things are going pretty well but if you could add one person from history to your household right now, who would it be? Okay, maybe I'll redeem myself from talking about Queen with this one. Um, <laughs> I would actually get um, Abraham Kuyper. And the reason I'm saying Abraham Kuyper is because he was not just a great theologian. He 
threw himself into the 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 public arena and so he he had a newspaper that he started and he was a writer and he started an academy a university in fact then he jumped into the political sphere and ended up being the prime minister of the netherlands and so i just think right now drew there are so many swirling like spheres that we have to keep our eye on like last night we're meeting with medical professionals in iowa city to hear from them about how we should think about our public services but then i also have to think about the political aspects and what do the mayors think and what do what do it was our governor saying and and then just the spiritual aspect what is the bible calling me to you know all these different spheres that as leaders we we have to listen well to all those right so that dude man i feel like if i just dropped him into this life right now he would be able to like in an afternoon assess everything that's going on and with an educated opinion guide me as to how to think in these days so abraham kuyper dude that that shows the difference in our stage of life because as i thought about that question i've never answered one of these but i gotta throw my answer out to that i would add like Corey Tinboom because oh. i need somebody who's really fun to hang out with but i also need somebody who's gonna do the laundry and like help with the kids <laughs> homework so I had Abraham Kuyper and I just imagine him like sitting downstairs on my couch, like reading a book and he's got like, kids <laughs> crawling all over it. So pretty soon his go. theological genius is out the window. <laughs> he's only good. He's only helpful to me, like around the bonfire at eight o'clock at night. You know? <laughs> I got to keep running out and getting him new cigars, man. Well, I gotta, yeah. What a mistake getting this guy in the room. Totally. I'm like, <laughs> Why do I have Abraham Kuyper? My wife needs far more help than I do right now. So, oh, anyway, that's so good. That's yeah, so. Yeah. Good. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Would you uh, would you close us out just by praying, man? I'd love to. I would love to. God, you are so good and so faithful, and uh, man, my life's journey has been so blessed by being able to walk for seasons with guys like Drew and. So thank you, God, just for the many, many people, the gifted, cool brothers and sisters you brought into my life. And Drew's been through a lot, Lord. So I just want to pray for him that you would continue to sustain him. And sometimes he's going to, again, believe lies. He's going to get discouraged. He's going to encounter yet another new difficulty. And it's going to be tough for him to put his head down and, and slog it out and take another step. So give him endurance, perseverance faithfulness because there's a lot of people following drew and looking to him as their example and i just want it to be out of a sincere heart of, of faith toward you so bless him and his family and god just for all those that are are tuning in right now may this be a season lord where yeah there's a dark shadow over our land but god your light of truth is beaming brightly and help us to lean into you and be more nimble by your spirit to to respond accordingly and so yeah, we, we want to be in step with you, Spirit, through all of this. So God be praised. We love you and are so grateful for this moment together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for joining Jeff and I live from Ronda the Honda and Greta the Jetta. Greta the Jetta. And I look can't forward to seeing you next week. <laughs> it was fun hanging out. So fun.